I'm Dr. Greg Winteregg, CEO of the Private Dentist Alliance. I want to talk to all of you students out there today who are wondering what your future is going to be like as a career in dentistry, as an assistant, as a hygienist, as a dentist, where is this profession going with the rapid increase of the DSO movement? I'm here to tell you the PDA is going to help you and I want you to become a member today. It is free. Now, why should you become a member? You're gonna get weekly video updates from me and you're gonna get regular updates of our newsletters from the Alliance on exactly what is happening and how we are going to help preserve and protect the private practice of dentistry. Now, to me, the most important advantage is you are going to get access to our job board. What is that? Our private practicing members all have access to our PDA job board, which means if they have an opening in their private practice of assistant, hygienist, doctor, front office staff, they're going to be able to post it. And you're gonna be able to check up regularly. And as our membership grows, we're gonna be covering larger and larger territories across the United States. If you are looking for a job in any position in the office of a private practice, you need to become a student member today. It is free. Go to www.privatedental.org and become a student member today. You're gonna to love your benefits. Do it now. What is up guys? It's your boy Matt Havis back out with the Dental Supervised Podcast. Today we have part two of our very special interview with Mark Johnson. He is the founder of Student Loans Rx. He is back at it. He's giving all the super high yield information that you will need in order to be a successful investor while having student loans as a practice owner. So Mark dives into everything from real estate investments, what his opinions are on that, should you get into it, should you not, check that out. He also tells you about the stock market, why he, why he likes it versus things he doesn't like about it. So check it out. Let us know what you think. We always love your feedback. If you guys have anyone that you want us to talk to, let us know. Shoot us a DM on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. We love reading them and we want to provide the top-notch quality information for you guys. So as always, let's stay safe. Let's vibe on. Whether you want to call it an investment, or asset, or a liability, is either buying a new house or renting uh, from someplace that might be lower in monthly payments versus real estate. But I mean, who knows? So what is your opinion on renting versus buying um, while paying off student loans? Okay. So, you know, the real estate market, I'm not an expert in real estate market in residential real estate, but obviously there's different markets. So, the coasts are very expensive. So if we're having this conversation, you know, I've got clients in Seattle. It's a different conversation than clients in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, right? So uh, it just really depends on where you're going to be. I think it also depends on how quickly do you want to be a practice owner. So when you go into a bank to get a loan uh, to buy a practice, you know, what does the banker want to see? You know, they want to see number one that the practice cash flows. Number two, do they feel you're gonna be able to meet the production, right? So if Dr. Smith retires and you take over Dr. Smith's practice, are you gonna be able to keep the numbers up or hopefully grow them? And then they're gonna look at your personal finances, okay? So if you got a $600 Audi payment 
and 400,000 in student loan debt and uh, you know $3,500 mortgage, that's gonna be less attractive to a banker than if you walk in and say, hey, I graduated three years ago, I've saved up $50,000, you know, I don't have any consumer debt, you know, I've got a $250, you know, payment on my Toyota Corolla or whatever. Um, you know, if you put your, so if your desire is to be a practice owner, my counsel is to, you know, to limit some of those larger consumer purchases until you get that practice loan. I also don't recommend refinancing your, your student loan debt oftentimes until you secure the practice loan. Right. Because the banker wants to see that you've got, the banker really doesn't care if you've got 400,000 or 500,000 in student loan debt. What they care about is what's your monthly payment. Because mm -hmm. they're looking for cash flow. They want to make sure that if they loan you a million dollars to buy a practice, that you're going to be able to make that payment. Right. So, okay. So thank you for the segue, because that was the next um, portion of our conversation here that we really like to focus on. Um, we're very supportive of getting into ownership early. Um, so let's say, let, now let's just like walk through an example here. So let's say a student graduates, they uh, work as an associate for a year or two, like you said, get your production numbers, and then now they wanna buy a practice. So how do you go about planning your student loans, um, coordinating that with your timeline for buying a practice within let's just say like the first three years out of school? Sure. So obviously each situation is unique, but let's say, you know, the average dental student graduates with about 300,000 in student loan debt. Um, I think our average client's about four. So let's just say you've got 400,000 in student loan debt. Um, you didn't have any income that last year coming out of uh, dental school. So we're likely going to recommend that you get on an income-driven repayment plan. Keep your Keep your payment low, actually be zero the first 12 months. Take some money and start setting it aside in an investment account, okay? So build up your liquidity over those that first two to three years. We might recommend putting, you know, get a little money in a Roth IRA because you're gonna, your income is gonna block you out of doing a direct contribution into an IRA at about 130,000 of income for a single person and right at about 200 for a married couple. So you want to get your fund your Roth IRAs if you can. You know, by the way, worst case scenario, you can pull money out of a Roth IRA. The principal can come out tax and tax and penalty free. So if you got to dip into it, which I've had clients had to sell their Roth IRAs, you know, because they need to come up with a little more money uh, for a building or, you know, to for down payment on the practice. Um, so in those first two to three years, I would just say. You know, get your skill set up, get your production numbers looking great, poke around and see where you want to settle down and buy a practice, start making, building relationships with, uh, you know, maybe some senior dentists in the community that you ultimately want to settle in. So I would just say, you know, you're out of school, enjoy, enjoy some of the fruits of your labor, uh, you know, keep your consumer spending, you know, within reason and, you know, Right now, you guys have been super, super disciplined to get the graduation date and pass your boards, right? You know, that next, that next goal is I want to be a practice owner maybe in 24 months or 30, 30 months or something like that. And then lay out those items. What do I need to do to be a practice owner in 30 months? 
you know, we work with, um, there's a number of companies out there, but we do a lot of joint uh, marketing work with a company called ddsmatch.com. So they have, uh, you know, they're a practice broker and they help um, also place associates. And they've got, I think they're in like 30 states around the country. So connect, find a practice uh, transition consultant. You know, you, um, if you visit me on LinkedIn. I probably am connected to 25 or 30 of them around the country. You want to find somebody, a practice broker that say, hey, I'm looking to buy a practice in the Dallas, Fort Worth area, you know, maybe in the next 30 months, you know, kind of keep me in mind. A lot of them, you can go online and build a profile and say, you know, here's the areas that I'm looking for, you know, here's the areas that I'd like to, you know, keep, keep me in mind on when you've got something, you know, the other thing I would just, I would just say is you guys are super disciplined. I mean, it takes, you know, it takes a lot to get through, you know, dental school, obviously medical school, there's other there's other disciplines that are really hard to get through. So recognize that you learning how to run a practice is gonna be a walk in the park compared to getting through dental school. So, you know, if somebody says, well, I'm thinking, you know, four to five years, I'm like, no, 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 you, you gotta do it before then. Right. You know, you'll get, you'll get you'll, four to five years, you're gonna wanna buy a house, you're gonna wanna, start a family you're going to get comfortable with the income that you're making and you know it's going to get more difficult as time goes on i think um you know you probably can't get a practice you know your first year out because you don't have anything to show the bank yet in terms of production numbers um but um i'd say you know two to three years should be a should be if you want to own a practice that would be a, a good window um to look at thank yeah thank you for uh, supporting that because that's that's really our message we try and uh, share with everybody so now one of the things that we, we talk about a lot is like okay so let's say our loans are at seven percent right what if we're able to find some sort of investment that has a higher ROI than seven percent like let's say like what are your thoughts on you know maybe purchasing real estate and you're returning like I don't know 10 12 percent if you're lucky and it's not your primary um, residence, you know, it's just strictly a rental property. What are your thoughts on starting to like begin getting more fully leveraged um, with, through real estate than, you know, the Roth IRA, for example? So I'm gonna take a pass on that one, okay? <laughs> I don't pass on too many, but here's here's what I'll say, okay? I'm not an expert on, on uh, commercial real estate. Uh, you can make a, you can make good money in commercial real estate. I know many many people have. Um, you know, I'm I'm investing in the market. Um, you know, I think the guys that run, I mean, name your favorite company today, do a pretty good job of returning um, gains to shareholders. And all we have to do is mail in our money. Um, so I think there's probably more, there might be more effort on your part in terms of commercial real estate. You got to be more involved in that aspect. I also know that um, leverage works both ways, right? So you can put money in a piece of, so if, if you invest in a Roth IRA with, with me, you know, the worst you're going to do is I'm going to lose all your money. Right. Okay. Uh, if you buy a commercial building and you put $50,000 down, and we're at a pretty frothy real estate environment right now. Um, I think a lot of, you know, you can lose more than you put in. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the that's a challenge with you know leverage is you can lose more than than what you invest. And I think starting out, um, you guys are going to have an opportunity. I know you're anxious to to make a bunch of money, um, but you're going to have many many years to do that. And I would I would caution you on getting over leveraged, um, you know, too early. Right. You know, if it's supporting your, if it's supporting a practice, okay, that's part of what you're, what you went to school for. But just to start buying up uh, duplexes, you know, in, you know, Boca Raton, I'm not sure that, you know, that might take, that might take a little bit of, uh, that might take some time away from what I think your core skill is, is which is in those first couple of years, is mm-hmm. getting, getting your hands working and, you know. Get, fixing some teeth and, and and generating some production numbers, you know, um, you know, you know, the market historically, you know, if you go back to 1926, you know, the U.S. stock market has generated about a 10%, you know, rate of return pre-tax, and that's pretty good for not really having to be involved in in an activity. Um, you could do better than that in commercial real estate, but you know, interest rates are super, super low right now. And so the real estate market has been pretty, you know, pretty high. You know, this whole work from home theme, okay, there's going to be some people after COVID-19 that are definitely going to back to work in an office environment, right? But there's a lot of people that aren't. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of companies that are just going to tell their employees, um, you know, we've got the technology set up now. They find that actually people work more from home. Initially, they thought people weren't going to be as efficient from home. They're going to be watching Netflix and goofing off with the dog or whatever. But it, it, what they found out is that companies is that people are actually getting more work done from home because we're actually putting in more hours at home. And so what, the, what is that going to do to the commercial real estate market? You know, are there going to be a bunch of buildings that are not going to be, you know, going to have vacancy because there's lots of people that are going to be working from home. So I'm not a commercial real estate expert, but, you know, um, I'd be, I'd be cautious about that. I'd really want to know the area that I'm in, you know, what is their outlook for, what is their outlook for filling up that building? Right. Cause yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff about, they're saying, okay, perhaps we're at the point where all the uh, properties are already priced in and it's just kind of like, all right, now we're waiting for the next administration and then we'll see, how things turn out, you know, maybe turn around or just, uh, of course, some sort of difference between the last four years and this next four years. So there's a, so there's a high correlation between interest rates and, you know, real estate performance and, and, you know, stock market performance and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're at the lowest we've been in, I think ever, ever certainly yeah. in your guys' lifetime, this is the lowest interest rates have ever been. So asset prices are up. So the question is, is, you know, if you buy a commercial building that you're planning on flipping at some point, or, you know, if interest rates go from, you know, the the 10-year treasury is a little over 1%, and if that goes to something reasonable, like 3.5%, that's going to hit, you know, financial assets, especially those that are more levered, like real estate could, could, you know, take it on the chin a little bit. Again, I'm not an expert on it, but I'd be I'd be careful. I'd really want to understand the property I'm buying and, you know, is it, you know, what's the likelihood that that you're going to be able to get those tenants in and, you know, increase, you know, rates over time. And, uh, 
There you go. That's my. I said I was going to pass <laughs> on that so, one. I didn't really. I didn't really pass on it, did I? Yeah. No, well, you you definitely touched right on it. But my question is: so we talked about some ways that you can get involved in finance and some investments you can make. So we talked about Roth IRA. We talked about the market a little bit on real estate. So are there any others that we can consider as a possibility to start putting some money away that might passively? Because your whole idea of the market is you want to be a little bit more passive. Um, so is there any other passive ideas that come to mind? that somebody can think of as a possibility? Well, what I mean by passive is I mean you as a dentist. I, right. I'm, not a, I'm, not an I'm not an advocate for what's called today, quote, passive investing. Um, right. I think if, so, if, if I give somebody money to invest, I wanna know what they're doing with it and that they're not just throwing it into some index and you know, hoping it goes up because it went up last year or last week or, or whatever. Um, you know, at my company, we're active managers. And uh, that doesn't mean that we don't we don't use some some indexes or some passive investments as part of an overall portfolio, but we like to buy individual stocks and actively manage mutual funds and and, and the whole nine yards. So I would say, you know, uh, one of the centerpieces of our financial plan is that uh, that you have a three month emergency savings fund. So some people prior to COVID-19 were like, why should I have three months of my income or my expenses in this debt account earning 2%? I said, well, I don't know. I just, at some point, you're going to want that money. Well, you know, COVID-19 comes along. Uh, obviously, that's a one in a hundred year thing, hopefully. And, uh, and now all our dental professionals that got laid off and furloughed were pretty happy that they had a three-month emergency savings fund. So you have different buckets of money that serve different purposes. So, you know, um, Dave Ramsey, you might listen to him, but, you know, he recommends us, you know, start out with, I think, $1,000 and then six months of emergency savings. Now, it doesn't have to be six months sitting at something earning zero or a half a percent, but maybe you have 3% at, or you have three months at, in your savings account at the bank, you're not getting much on that. And then maybe you have another three months at something that's getting you, you know, two or three percent, you know, not quite as liquid, but you know, still pretty liquid and safe. And so you have different buckets of money. So emergency savings, I think, is really important. Our goal is to get three months of emergency savings saved up in the first 18 months out of school. Okay, so if you make if your monthly expenses are five thousand, then you know, we want you to get uh, $15,000 put away in over 18 months. Uh, mm -hmm. Roth IRAs, I mean, that money grows tax-free forever. I mean, you know, you're not going to beat that out. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And if you're halfway decent on your investment selection, you know, over the next 40 years, I think you're going to be pretty happy that you've got the money early on in a Roth IRA. Um, we do encourage people in that first year or so if you're on an income-driven repayment plan and your payment is super, super low because your income was zero the first year and six months of income the second year, that you take those 24 months and build up um, some liquidity. And we use, uh, we work with Fidelity Investments. All of our client accounts are held at Fidelity Investments. And there are some investments that are very conservative that you can put some money in to build some of that liquidity. Um, and then you can use those monies to, you know, down payment out of practice, you know, make a big lump sum, you know, towards your student loans two or three years down the road. So, uh, so that's, there's a, there's a number of things, but, uh, you know, my encouragement 
to a young dental professional is whatever you do, get your, your priority should be to get yourself in a position to buy a practice if that's your goal. And all of, all of the other investment things, I mean, you'll have an, you know, Roth is great, emergency savings is great, uh, but I, I wouldn't get too crazy with, you know, alternative investments in those first couple two or three years out of school. Baseball cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I shouldn't put all my money yeah. on Bitcoin and Tesla right now. <laughs> um, that, that I don't think is going to work out for you. No. Yeah. Okay. okay. So um, let's see here now. The, the thing that most people when they're, you know, getting out of school, what we've all just kind of given up instead of, you know, going on with our lives. Most, most of our friends have, families, they have houses, they have cars, you know, we've given it up so that we can go through dental school, right? That's how most students feel. And so most students, as you know, want to make that purchase, like the big purchase when they get out of school. So like you said, I, I love that you keep preaching that, to, you know, focus on purchasing the practice down the road and just make that your primary focus. Um, so now when does the student who just graduated buy the car like okay they they get their three the to car. six months of emergency funds but when do you purchase the car like when would you buy a 70 chevelle super sport <laughs> um when your practice is generating uh a million dollars a year of revenue and you've paid off your student loans that's that's <laughs> when i would buy it okay so he, here's the thing i'm I, I'm the I'm the wrong guy to be asking questions about automobiles because um, I I find that they're a tool, okay, right. and they they get me to where I want to be, and I don't draw any personal um, uh, what's the best word to say I don't feel better about myself driving a nicer car or not, so I recognize I feel that. Um, when someone comes into me, so every once in a while as a wealth advisor, I don't just do student loans for dentists, right? I have other clients, but 90% of my business, my time is spent with, with dental professionals. But when someone else comes into my office, sometimes I'll get a referral two or three times a year that you know a young couple or somebody, they're upside down financially and they wanna, somebody refers them to me and they come in and uh, you know maybe they got laid off, but you know they're not a they're they're having some financial troubles first two things i look at is their cars what's their car payments and how much do they eat out first two things right they have to fill out a budget I, they have to fill out a budget before they come in the average american adult spends four hundred dollars a month on a car payment now if you do that over 20 years Instead of investing it in a 7% return investment, that's $200,000. So you have to ask yourself, now I'm not saying, you know, you know, drive the car your parents bought you in high school. Okay, what I'm saying is, I'm not telling you not to drive it, because maybe it's still in great shape and gets you from point A to point B. Uh, there are, you're, you can have, you guys are going to have the income to buy everything you need. And a lot of what you want, you just have to pace yourselves. And I understand that there's this pent up demand to purchase and you're looking at your friends, but your friends, okay, instead of going to dental school and maybe establishing 
you know, a career path that's going to generate millions of dollars over the next 30 to 40 years, if it's done right, okay, maybe they're going to, you know, max out in their income in five years. And when you're driving whatever car you want, they're still driving the car that you see them driving today that's 15 years old because, you know, they went out and did that all on borrowed money. So I would just say, you know, hey, keep your car payment, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. If you can stretch it out, I mean, you can buy some nice luxury cars that have 100,000 miles on them. Nobody looks inside and sees how many miles are on that car. You pay half as much for it, you know? So, so what do you want to be? Do you want to be driving around the nicest car that's, you know, you got a $600, $700 payment, or do you want to be putting some of that money away towards buying a practice that's going to generate a million dollars, you know, of revenue a year for you forever if you do it right? So right. I would just say, hang, hang on a little bit longer. And at your five years from now, at your high school reunion, whatever, whatever that is, you're going to be year. sitting pretty large. This year? No, not five years from high school. Five, your high school reunion five years from now. Um, five years from now. Fifteen years. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing fantastic. Okay, cool. So I had a question about what do you think is like going to be the current climate and everything with this new presidential administration coming in? Do you think there's going to be a lot of changes with student loans and stuff like that? Do you think it? Well, that the climate's going to get cooler. They're going to fix the climate. Okay. The climate's going to get cooler, right? Right. The, the climate's not going to be warm. Yeah. No, I know what you. I know what you meant. Um, I, I believe that uh, they are going to uh, tinker with the student loan repayment um, options through the federal program, right? Um, I believe they probably will uh, work to revamp the income-driven repayment plans. So they've already said that they're they'd like to combine the like revised pay as you earn and pay as you earn into one plan of 15 years. And then it's been hinted at that at the end of that 15 years, whatever's left over is forgiven, but it's forgiven tax free. Gotcha. Now, the challenge with this, the challenge with this forgiven concept is it does nothing to rein in universities continuing to raise their, their tuition. Mm -hmm. So, if you've got a system where there's no incentive for people, well, there's limited incentive for people to make good choices up front, why not just take out the maximum amount of student loans? You know, why not take out the maximum, buy real estate in year one of dental school, just max out your student loans as much as you can, buy real estate or invest in the stock market or, you know, sports gamble online whatever you want to do with that extra money <laughs> right and then you get on a low payment for 15 years and then you know a big chunk is forgiven at the end you know there's no incentive i haven't heard any incentives yet um to kind of rein in the cost of tuition and that that needs to be discussed i just uh, posted, I got re requested to comment on an article on this topic on LinkedIn. They, somebody at LinkedIn reached out to me. I guess they saw student loans in my title or whatever. And, you know, if the schools have no incentive, I mean, what's the incentive for the schools to keep their rates, you know, reasonable? You know, the reason that college costs continue to go up 
is there's only so many seats available, you know, let's say for dental school. And dental students have almost an unlimited amount of money when you look at what their parents can borrow, what student loans are available to them through the federal program and what private lenders will give them. Okay, so let me ask you this. If your customer, when you're a dentist, if you, if you got, you know, family money bags, if you live in a community that's just a, a bunch of rich people and, you know, they'll pay for service, I mean, what do you, what's your fee going to be? You know, are you going to compete with the public health clinic downtown or are you going to have much, much higher fees? I mean, the market is going to bear whatever, you know, the university are charged, whatever they can get away with when they've got a customer that's got unlimited access to capital. Right. You know, I mean, it's so, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I would like, I would like to see them come up with some kind of a deal. You know, it's the interest that kills you guys too, because not only, I mean, you might borrow $400,000 of student loans, but you got a hundred thousand dollars of interest by the time you're done. Exactly. And so I'd like to see them, you know, put in something like maybe a variable rate, cap it at maybe 4%, something reasonable. Okay, if they really want to get behind education, you know, have a reasonable interest rate, but it's variable. So if the 10-year treasury is at 1% now, and dental students are graduating this year with 6.5% average interest rate, there's a big, huge disconnect there. How can the government say they're they're behind education when you know they're charging five points on four or five hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt, you know, on the people that they say they're they're really trying to help? Right. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I know it's going to be it's definitely going to be interesting. So one last question for you. Um, I saw something recently, or maybe somebody told me something that the loan forgiveness might be like a max of $10,000 per student. Have you heard or seen anything about that? Yeah, everybody's seen the same thing. There's been discussions of, you know, forgiving student loans. Uh, I think President Biden even said in one of his uh, recent um, interviews that, you know, $10,000 across the board would take care of, I mean, there's a lot of folks that have, you know, $40,000, $50,000 or $12,000 in student loans. So yeah, I mean, if they, they gave, you know, they forgave $10,000 of, you know, a bunch of people, I'm sure that would uh, be well received by, by those people, right? right. I, I'd like them to knock $10,000 off my mortgage too, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've been paying taxes for about 40 years. So, uh, um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, this, you know, what's kind of scary, I, I want you guys to do the best, uh, you know, and uh, I'd like to see some lower interest rates and I'd like to see some forgiveness and everybody likes to get that sugar high up front with the, with the if they make a $10,000 gift to everybody with student loans. But for you guys, that's not going to make much of an impact, but it's better than nothing, right? The yeah. challenge is, is that somebody's going to have to pay that back in the mm -hmm. future, right? The American taxpayer and guess who's going to be in the highest tax bracket someday. So them giving you $10,000 of student loan forgiveness, you're going to pay about $30,000 for that gift over time in higher taxes. Yep, you're right. That's my, that's my, that's my prediction. Okay. Right. It's not free. Somebody's got to pay. Yeah. 
and just make well, it who's going to pay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, who's going to pay? I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're borrowing the money from China and we're going to have to pay it back. If you're in a higher tax bracket, you're, you know, so that's just, that's just math. That's just the yeah. way it works. Gotcha. All right. Well, Hey, Mark, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much for answering all of our questions. Um, I feel like we really like, we did full spectrum of everything about student loans. So um, could you give our listeners some of your contact information, email or uh, website? And you say you're LinkedIn, you're pretty active on that as well. Yeah, so thank you so much, guys. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, our website is studentloansrx.com, studentloansrx.com. And then I'll give you um, my email address. Well, our email address is just studentloansrx at rbfadvisors.net. I know that's kind of complicated, but if you just go to student loans rx, uh, I just encourage your listeners, anybody that's got some questions on student loans, we offer a free 30 minute consultation. So you can just go to our website up in the top right hand corner. It says free consult. You click on that. It takes you two minutes to fill out our needs assessment, just some basic information. And then uh, we'll get a 30 minute uh, consultation scheduled. Also, um, I love to buy pizza for dental professionals. So if any listeners uh, want to invite me to do a lunch and learn, you know, for their dental school or any ASDA conferences, I've been on two ASDA conferences in the last uh, month, District 8 and District 6, just this past weekend. So we're looking to get in front of as many uh, dental students and residents as we can and see if we can help them find that uh, optimal repayment strategy. So put them on a good uh, glide path uh, towards their uh, successful careers in dentistry. Awesome, awesome. Love it. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate all you do for us. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, guys, that'll do it for our part two interview with Mark Johnson. He's the creator of Student Loans Rx. We loved having him on. He provided such a wealth of information. This is the type of high yield things that we want to provide for you guys because you guys deserve to hear it. No BS, everything that you need to be successful and be the top 1% dentist. So we hope you guys enjoyed it. We'd love to have Mark on again and discuss more about student loans, investment strategies, whatever it is that we can to get ahead in our careers. So as always, follow us on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. Give us a like, comment, review. Let us know what you guys think. We want to hear back from you guys, and we want to make this the best podcast we can for you. So as always, let's stay safe and vibe on.